Welcome back to the Christ and Culture. This is Steve. And this is Clint. Clint, it's uh, it's good to be back on the podcast with you specifically, because I've been on with Gordon a couple times now. Although maybe the last one we did, I did was with, I don't remember. <laughs> no, uh, you did you did two with Gordon and uh, yeah. we, d- we did the kind of that off week where we had kind of a mini episode. We did that together. So all the days blur together. We're, we're in pandemic time, so time doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, speaking of pandemics and uh, binging streaming services, yeah. I know that one of the musicals that you like, I've listened to the soundtrack. I haven't actually watched the musical yet, even though I know it's on Disney Plus now. But the musical Hamilton, as our listeners may know, the both of us like musicals. Hamilton's a good musical. I've listened to the music. I haven't actually watched the full musical, but I'm going to turn it over to Clint, who has watched it and uh, might have some things to say. Yeah, I've actually watched it twice now. So I got Disney Plus just to watch this. And then we had some people like reach out and request it after they saw it on Disney Plus. Like, oh my gosh, this is so good. You guys need to do that on the show. So here we are. That's what we do. You request it, we do it. So Steve, I don't know how well you know the show but i mean people always ask whenever i talk about the the show at least musical people what your favorites are so like favorite songs favorite characters stuff like that do you have any favorites because you've only listened to the soundtrack so it's kind of hard to know some of the stuff unless you've listened to the soundtrack like a hundred thousand times like i have but do you have any favorite songs or anything no that's a great question it has actually been a while since i've listened to the soundtrack okay and i obviously don't really know the characters because you don't really always get their personalities perfectly through just the music. But perhaps by the time we do part two of this episode, (laughs) I will have actually watched it and be a little bit more prepared. Like we said, we're going to be doing this in a two week separation. So this week we'll be covering act one. Next week we'll do act two. Act one is supposed to set up for act two. So you're going to be getting the backstory here anyways, and I'll kind of walk you through it. Cool. But if anyone is wondering for all of you, drama geeks out there i broke down my favorites by each act so my favorite songs for act one are wait for it dear theodosia and actually my first favorite like my original favorite for this when i first started getting into the musical was you'll be back which is the first song by king george just because it's hilariously awkward and weird and uh, we'll be talking about the songs later on and then characters slash actors until I watched the actual musical. This character kind of just like, I guess, was outside my radar. But oh my gosh, I am blown away by Eliza, played by Philippa, aka Pippa Sue, who plays Alexander's wife. She is amazing in this, dude. So we'll be talking about her later on. And then John Lawrence, played by Anthony Ramos. And of course, George Washington, played by Christopher Jackson. And this this will come up later, but I think if there's any Christ figure in this musical, I think it's him. And obviously, George Washington is idolized as is. And I don't think he's a perfect re- representation. But if we had to choose someone, I think it would have to be George Washington. So that's my my kind of start to everything going on here. So with that, just I just want to throw out some themes at the beginning. I know that's kind of weird for how we do things, but I just want to give people kind of an idea of where... I was seeing stuff as I was going through. And obviously this isn't all the themes, but these are kind of some of the major ones going through. So one is 
I wrote down pro-immigrant in the idea of a lot of the main characters in this musical were immigrants. And part of that was because of the time period. I mean, most people at the time were immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. Or recent descendants of immigrants. But we see uh, lines in here where in, in the songs where it says, immigrants, we get the job done. Like we are the ones that are, are doing the stuff. We're building the, the nation, essentially. So we'll see a lot of pro-immigrant stuff. We'll see a lot of pro-minority themes. And that goes from the fact of just like a lot of the actors are minorities, right? There's actually very few Caucasians in the entire show, which is pretty cool. And then there's a whole theme of raising an all African-American battalion in the military too. So like there's this idea of we're not going to stop this war until there's complete equality, not just freedom. And then something that's pretty relevant to things that are going on, or at least things that we're, we're seeing in still today, pro standing up to oppression and tyranny, or at least perceived as such, and not just being a passive bystander. So that doesn't mean starting a revolution. That doesn't mean becoming violent or anything like that necessarily, but just being able to not just watch things happen, but actually having a voice and doing something about that. The next theme I have is love and family. We'll see a lot of that happening, especially with, I guess it it happens more towards the end of act one into act two. We'll see a lot of that stuff. And one of my favorite themes in this whole musical is the idea of slowing down and enjoying life and being content with what you were given and what you experience. And so we'll see that a lot along with the idea of like the idea of time. I know we haven't even touched any of the story yet, but do you want to comment on anything so far? Yeah, so just kind of going back when you were talking about the standing up, not being passive, there's a quote, actually, it's funny. So where I work, we have this quote on the back of one of our t-shirts, but it's by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yeah. And the quote is, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. And then the full quote is, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. And anyway, it just that that struck me when you said that and just kind of reminded me of that quote. Yeah, because even in not doing, you're making a choice to, to actively right. not do something. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Cool. So the next thing I wanted to bring up before we actually get into the story itself is why people like it. That's a big part of our show is just trying to understand why do people like certain aspects of culture? Because if there's something we like, if we enjoy something, our idea in this show is that there's something in there that is good, which is drawing us towards God, who is ultimate and perfect goodness himself. So I tried to figure out like, why do people even enjoy this? So I have a couple ideas here. And I think a lot of these things just apply to musicals in general, but a few of them are kind of more specific. So like this first one, this musical, is, it's just a fun way to learn about history and gives an idea of where we come from. I know you had just read Theology of the Body, uh, which focuses a lot on where we come from and what that means for who we are as people. Mm-hmm. But this also teaches us about suffering and moral situations that we experience today. So not only are we learning about history, but we're also seeing how it applies to ourselves today in a way that's a lot more fun than sitting and reading a textbook in class. So there's that. Another reason I think people like it is it's just brilliant lyrics and music. So anyone who appreciates the beauty and the goodness and the truth of music can appreciate this, I think, mm-hmm. especially if you're a fan of hip hop, rap. But there's also a lot of just true Broadway sounding songs in there too. 
And I think the brilliance of this also kind of alludes to the idea of like an intelligently designed beauty. And so when we recognize the beauty and the goodness and the truth within this musical, it points us to the fact that the creator and writer, Lin-Manuel Miranda, was brilliant at what he did. In the same way, we see beauty, goodness, and truth in the world, in nature, and creation. And that points us to an intelligent designer who we as Christians believe to be the one true God. Mm -hmm. So the next thing I think that draws people in is the use of powerful dichotomies and emotions to look at the experience of the human person. So a huge aspect of why I enjoy this is there are so many different, just like highs and lows. It's crazy how it'll switch from like a really slow song to one of the fastest songs in musical history in the span of like a measure. Like it's so fast. And I'll talk about that later. It's probably next week actually, but this is one of the fastest musicals, if not the fastest musical of all time. And so we we see kind of like this transition of, of that, but also the dichotomy of the characters themselves where we have characters like Alexander Hamilton versus his kind of rival slash friend, Aaron Burr. And that's probably the biggest one. And we'll really, really dive into that. Well, both weeks, but we'll get started here this week too. And then the last thing is just the hero's journey. We've, we've talked about the hero's journey on here before, but it's kind of the underlying story to basically any good adventure. And so in this act one, we really see the first couple parts of the hero's journey. So I'll just kind of walk through what they are really briefly because I don't want to waste too much time, but we'll see how these things kind of happen. And the hero's journey, like I said, is what we as humans throughout history have proven to like in a story, basically. So the first thing is a call to adventure. So a reason to be called out of your normal everyday life. The second part is meeting with a mentor. And I think there's actually kind of two mentors. So the main one is George Washington. We'll talk about him later, of course. But I think, ironically, Aaron Burr, who is also his rival, is in a way a mentor, or at least someone who calls him to be better at times or to like challenge him in different ways. So you can agree or disagree with with me on that as we talk about it. But I think he can be considered a mentor too. And then the third one that I think we'll see in this first act is challenges and temptations. This is kind of the bulk of the story, I think, but there's just so many highs and lows and challenges and temptations. And then the ones that we'll see probably more next week are the roadblock or in the hero's journey. It's also called death followed by resurrection, which isn't always like true death, true resurrection, but like the death of failure and resurrection of like coming back from that kind of thing. And then transformation atonement and the return. So we'll see most of those next week, but I just wanted to bring them up now so you can kind of see them happening as we go. All right. So with that, I just want to throw out how I'm kind of envisioning this. So there are a lot of songs and there's a lot of words. When I was doing research for this, I printed off like the the lyrics so I could go through and just kind of dissect everything, not realizing there's 170 pages worth of lyrics. So There is a lot to go through. So we're going to try and break it down song by song. We're probably going to skip some songs entirely. And some songs will probably just hit a few verses or a few lyrics and stuff. But I'll try and give you guys a basic idea of what happens in the songs that we skip because it is telling a story. All right. So our first song was actually the first song that he wrote for this whole thing. I think he started 
intending to just do this one song and then it made a whole musical on it afterwards. But it's essentially just a summary that introduces the whole musical, right? So you get a a snapshot of everything that happens in this one song, which is why I'm kind of going to skip over it because we're going to hear all that stuff anyways. So the first part that tells the story is it's called Aaron Burr, Sir. And this introduces the main dichotomy of the story that I was talking about before between Hamilton and Aaron Burr. And Hamilton is trying to rush through school and join the war. This is the Revolutionary War, if you're not familiar with that, the American Revolutionary War. And he's just trying to make a name for himself. In that conversation, he's trying to ask advice from Aaron Burr, who he just met. And Burr says, talk less, smile more. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, so it's actually really interesting. Kind of in my, what I do for a living, one of the things, I was actually just talking to a guy about this yesterday morning in any sort of business or politics or anywhere where you're trying to deal with people, there's something powerful and actually really effective about leading a conversation through questions. And it's basically like you don't actually say very much, but you just sort of prompt the other person to tell you and you end up learning significantly more. And that person ends up walking away with a very positive view of you, even though you really didn't say anything. And that's kind of what it seems like Aaron Burr is is talking about here. I've actually heard, listened to this song is sort of like talking less, like smiling, kind of being very agreeable, but also just, it, it just strikes me as very political. It's like, don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. Yeah. And so there's just this sense. And I think that if you want to be successful in the eyes of the world, there is some truth there. Like if you were a politician and to a certain extent, I'll say, I think it works pretty well. I think that people generally like agreeable people. And I would say you would end up having, you'd end up probably being a very successful person or politician or uh, whatever with it. But in the eyes of the world. In the eyes of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what I was going to say is, but, but the difference is, and kind of what Hamilton's going for, right, is this idea of having a legacy of sort of making a name for himself, of actually being somebody who makes an impact. And if you want to be somebody who actually does something, not just is successful in the eyes of the world and everyone likes you, but and actually even in politics, you kind of see this happening a lot more recently than maybe in the past of people who it ends up being kind of divisive, but, but people end up like taking stands on things. And then it's almost refreshing to see somebody take a stand on an issue or, or, or just in general about anything. And I think that there's, that's something that Hamilton wants, right? It's like this idea of actually taking up, taking a stance of making a name for himself, of actually impacting society in a positive way. And sort of history will remember you for the impact that you made. Um, and that sometimes you, you're not just doing, or you're, you're, you actually have to take a stand for what you're for or what you're for you're against in order to do that, because you actually have to be able to stand for something you have to actually have an opinion on something and being willing to actually go out there and do something and actually be like, okay, I want to positively change the world. That means that I actually have to get up. I have to speak out and I have to tell people what I'm for and what I'm against. Yeah. So I can change maybe an injustice that's happening. Yeah. And that's actually spot on because what happens next is we're introduced to some pretty main characters in act one, Lafayette, Mulligan, and Lawrence 
Lawrence is one of the guys I said was my favorite characters in this act. And so we see, as soon as we meet those characters, Burr says, good luck with that. You're taking a stand. You spit, I'm a sit. We'll see where we land. And so he's like, you go out and talk. I'm going to stay here and see what happens. And we'll see which one of us ends up on top, essentially. Not in like a hostile way, but just like, we'll see what happens. And then after that, Lawrence says, Burr, the revolution's imminent. What do you stall for? And Hamilton says, if you stand for nothing, Burr, what will you fall for? Which is actually a pretty common saying throughout literature and movies and stuff like that. But I think there's something to that. If you stand for nothing, Burr, what will you fall for? To me, that, that's also kind of a call to stand for, for justice, like you're saying. Yeah. And to stand for justice and truth is not an option in our faith. We see in scripture, Christ calls us to action, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we have to be always public with our action and show Bodhi and put it on Instagram and social media and all that stuff. But we're called to stand for what is right at all times. And even in the letter of James in scripture, we see that our words, if they're not backed up by right action, which is comes from our heart, it even says that our religion is, is fake. Uh, the religion that we are practicing is not real religion. So you can check that out. That's in James chapter one and two. But immediately after this, we see what these guys are willing to stand for. So each of the characters goes through and says what they're doing, except for Burr. So we see, I'll point out a few of them. Hamilton says, I will lay down my life if it sets us free. So what is he standing for in act one? He's standing for freedom. He wants this nation to have the opportunity to be free from the tyranny of England. John Lawrence says, but we'll never be truly free until those in bondage have the same rights as you and me. And so, like I said before, his whole mission is to give the same rights to uh, slaves and to make sure there is no slavery, which is, again, revolutionary, no pun intended at the time. And so after that, we see what Burr says. So after these guys are done saying what they're standing for, Burr says, you keep out of trouble and you double your choices. I'm with you, but the situation is fraught. So he even says like, I want to support you. Like, I agree with you. But if you don't do anything, you have more options in case something goes poorly. And so he's like, not just afraid, but he's just like not willing to take a stand because he's willing to bail and go do the other thing. If that seems like the better option for himself at that time. And so it's just a very selfish, self-centered kind of option, I think. Right. And, uh, and that's kind of what I was trying to get to earlier as well. And even when you, you know, the whole idea of if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. There's, I think something in us, sometimes we don't want to cause conflict, right? Sometimes we want to avoid conflict. But it's important to remember that when faced with evil, like, we're actually called into that conflict. <laughs> um, that, that one of the things that I think Burr represents is sort of this Yeah, like the idea of like, what are you going to fall for is like, if you don't actually take a stand for truth, then are you going to end up doing something evil or being complicit with evil just because you're afraid to stand up or because it's easier for you to not take a stand, Mm -hmm. to not actually go out there and in sort of the public. And I think you're right. I mean, there's obviously a difference between living out virtuous lives and sort of virtue signaling. And I think that we obviously want to avoid just pretending or looking like we're doing the right thing. And we want to actually like have our actions. Do the right thing. Yeah. Like we want to make sure we're actually doing it, that actually our actions are showing that like this is a reality within us. You know, it's not just about posting 
the picture, but it's about, but about like actually going out and fighting the fight. Yeah. And I think that's why in the letter of James, it says like those actions, those words have to come from your heart, like from true love. Right. Mm -hmm. So just to keep things moving, because we still are on song number two, later on in the song, this is kind of a longer one. We have this kind of change in the song and Lawrence says, rise up. When you're living on your knees, you rise up. Tell your brother that he's got to rise up. Tell your sister that she's got to rise up. This is kind of a catchy part of the song. But in my eyes, I think we can kind of see this as rising from the fall, which is sin, right? And so we see when you're living on your knees, you've you've fallen. You need to rise up. Tell your brother that he's got to rise up. And not in a way like that's hostile, but in a way that's loving and calling them to rise, to, to seek forgiveness, to seek mercy, and to rise up. Yeah. And it's kind of this idea of like, we are created to stand on our feet. So not only just standing up for what is right, but standing up in a way that we are not fallen. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So kind of moving on here, Hamilton uh, later on says, ask anybody why we live in fast and we laugh, reach for a flask. We have to make this moment last. That's plenty. And the reason why I want to point this out is because this is where we really start to see some of Hamilton's weakness. And that is the fact that he is all about being fast and reckless. And so where Burr is super withholding and not willing to do much, Hamilton is reckless and will sacrifice basically anything to get what he perceives as his mission or his duty at that time. And that is, is huge. And we'll see that happen a lot. Just after that, Hamilton says, foes oppose us. We take an honest stand. We roll like Moses claiming our promised land. And if we win our independence, does that guarantee a freedom for our descendants? Or will the blood we shed begin an endless cycle of vengeance and death with no defendants? And so other than the idea of like, is this war actually going to cause freedom or is it just going to cause more death and bloodshed and stuff like that? I think there's something to that. But what I kind of want to focus on here is a little bit of irony, actually, because he talks about like Moses claiming the, the promised land. And if you remember in scripture, because of Moses sinning, he actually never made it into the promised land, which I think is also a bit of foreshadowing of this story. So spoilers here. If you haven't seen this musical, this whole thing's going to be spoilers. So just go watch it real quick on Disney Plus, then come back. But Alexander Hamilton doesn't live to see the tremendous impact that he had on society. And that's a huge part of the end of act two, right? And so he, he dies at a very young age and all this idea of trying to get all this stuff done and running out of time. We see that happen because he actually never makes it to his promised land. Even though he does live to see the independence, he doesn't live to see what happens afterwards. And then just after that, this is the last point I want to bring up for this song. He says, I'm laughing in the face of casualties and sorrow. And this lyric kind of was shocking to me. But at the same time, it also kind of shows his reckless disregard for life in pursuit of his goal. So whenever he's so set on something, even the lives of the soldiers around him as long as they win, it doesn't matter. And he says the same thing for himself. Like if I die, but we win, that's all that matters. Like I, I, I want to get a name for myself. I want to win this war. And like, that's it. Right. Yeah. So with both of those things and kind of also just remembering kind of hearing him about how he wants to make a name for himself. And we were talking about 
you know, legacies and all of them not wanting the virtue signal and all that. I think it all sort of, it sort of ties in. I think there is a fine line and I, and recently I've been praying the uh, litany of humility, which is a wonderful prayer, but there's something about the difference kind of between making sure we're doing the right things for the right reasons and sort of wanting, I guess, acknowledgement or sort of this powerful legacy or making a name for yourself or doing the right things because you want to be recognized for doing the right things. And so I think it's sometimes easy to fall into, and I'm not saying that Hamilton does per se, but I think just sort of these lyrics, at least in the beginning, and you kind of see it with even with the illusion with Moses, is there is this almost borderline, like you don't want to fall into consequentialism, right, which is like the ends justify the means because it's just about getting the end result like it the the means actually matter doing the right thing every step of the way is probably more important god obviously calls us to fight the fight he doesn't always call us to win because ultimately he's the one who is the ultimate victor like he's going to be the one who wins the battle so we have to make sure we're taking the right steps each and every time Mm -hmm. and so I, i think it's kind of just sort of interesting to see that because i you know, I, I remember my spiritual director in college once telling me, don't let the unintentional evil outweigh the intentional good. So oftentimes we have really good intentions for the things that we do, but if we're not careful, then we can end up potentially causing more harm than good. And I'm not saying that he per se does, because no, he obviously... Does. He oh, he does. Okay, does. good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good, good. Okay. Well, then I'm not completely off base. No, I, and and we'll definitely see that happen a lot more in Act Two, especially. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Great. And then maybe I'll save this a little bit for Act Two, and I'll have actually watched the musical by that point, so I'll, I I will know more of what to say. But but that's just something that strikes me, and I think is kind of important to remember. Mm-hmm. It's all well and good, and it is important to stand up and do the right thing. But we just have to make sure we know why we're doing it, and it's important to be like, if I actually got no recognition for this, if somebody else got all recognition for the things that I do, would I be okay with that? And I think that one of the responses, at least kind of through the litany of humility is, yeah, like if other people get the credit for it, that should be good because our heavenly father knows the truth. And like the job is to do the right thing. And so instead of sort of chasing this, this vanity, we should be chasing justice and chasing truth and chasing virtue. Yeah. And that definitely comes to play, I think. So I'm glad you brought that up. So the next song we see is called The Story of Tonight. And this is kind of like a drinking song with all the guys. And it's about how how everyone will tell their story because they're going to become heroes from this war. And so we see Lawrence Mulligan and Lafayette, they sing these lyrics. Raise a glass to freedom, something they can never take away. And then later on in that, in that same song, they all sing, tomorrow, there'll be more of us telling the story of tonight. And so I think the big takeaway from here is the idea of freedom and not being able to lose that. And once someone stands up, others will join you. So those are kind of the takeaways. But as far as freedom, I think in the context of our faith, well, I, I think in general, we have a misunderstanding of what freedom is. We think it's the ability to choose whatever we want, whenever we want. True freedom is the ability to not be restricted by like slavery, right? By all these false options. For example, when we're enslaved to our sins, we actually cannot be free. For example, we see in like addictions or the when we're compelled by our 
by our habits or controlled by our emotions or by our body, we are not able to make free choices because they compel us to do something against our will, essentially. And so I think the way I see this is raise a glass to freedom, something they can never take away. And I think that's because freedom in that sense is something that we have to give away by our choices and by creating habits that lead us into forfeiting our freedom and our ability to choose healthily. So that's kind of the big takeaway for me on that song. The next song we see is the Skylar Sisters, which introduces the Skylar Sisters, <laughs> who are Peggy, Angelica, and Eliza. The main two there are Angelica and Eliza, both of which fall for Alexander Hamilton later on, and Eliza will end up marrying Alexander. So we'll see more of them later. The next one is kind of a funny one. It's uh, Samuel Seabury, who is a pro pro-England, I guess, colonist, and he stands up against the Continental Congress. But the cool thing I found about Sam- Samuel Seabury is that he was actually an Anglican pastor, and he later became the first bishop in the U.S. for the Anglicans. Hmm. So that was interesting. And then because I was interested in looking that up, I looked up what religion Lin-Manuel Miranda was, because I was pretty sure he was atheist, but he actually had some interesting Christian references in a lot of his work. Yeah, he was actually born and raised Catholic and has Hmm. since fallen away. So that explains some of his kind of influence and some of the lyrics as well. Right. So immediately after that, we receive a message from King George. And instead of just reading a letter, we actually have a character, King George, played by Jonathan Groff, who also is in Mindhunter and plays Kristoff in Frozen. So if you didn't know that, there you go. He's an awesome actor. And one of the fun facts I learned about him in the stage production, he spits like a lot and everyone thinks it's like part of the character, but I watched an interview and he actually admitted he just spits a lot when he sings on stage. And so it works because this character is actually a little crazy, but he's like has spit flying literally everywhere the entire time. And you can see it because they zoom in and stuff. It's kind of nasty. So there's a fun fact for you. (laughs) That is That is definitely a fun fact. (laughs) Right? Uh, So the King's phrasing in this song, though, it's kind of like one of those songs that's, it's comedic, but it's also kind of like creepy. And that's, again, where we see kind of this dichotomy. There's lyrics of like, we're in love. And it's like this love letter kind of thing. But it also is like, if you don't love me, I'm going to send an army to kill you kind of thing. So it's, it's one of those like really weird dichotomies. But his phrasing of how he says like control and possess and like his ownership of the colonies. I think that reminds me a little bit of like demonic possession a little bit. First off, the reason I think that is he plays it off as a relationship. And we see if you ever look into demonic possession, it's not something that just kind of like happens. Like you see in Hollywood movies where like a ghost just like goes inside of you and you're possessed. It's something that happens where you develop this relationship with this spirit through things like Ouija boards or, you know, mediums and stuff like that. And so we see this idea of a love letter of him being friendly and comedic. But then, like I said, he also says he's going to do evil things and threaten you. And so it's kind of this idea of he's trying to foster this relationship, but you can tell it's fake. You know, it's all just a a disguise. Another reason why I think that is later on, he tells them that they will regret life without him if they leave. And it's kind of like the unhealthy romantic relationship thing where if you leave, like you're never going to find anything as good. 
Yeah. And then he switches and he uses guilt and he says, when you're gone, I'll go mad. He's like, if you leave me, I'm going to go crazy. I can't live without you. And so it's kind of this guilt thing. Again, you see that in really unhealthy relationships. Yeah. It's like a textbook sort of abusive, like emotionally abusive relationships. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then just some quick quotes here to kind of support that. He says, you'll be back soon. You'll see, you'll remember that you belong to me. And then later on, you say our love is draining and you can't go on. You'll be the one complaining when I am gone. And so there's a lot more in there than that. But it's just kind of this idea of this unhealthy relationship. I see a a small hint towards kind of like possession and the way he tries to control. um, But it could also just be seen as, like you said, an emotionally abusive relationship. Okay, so our next song is called Right Hand Man. So this is where we see Washington. And like I said, he's one of my favorites. He's fantastic. So Washington feels overwhelmed by their defeats and their odds, and he needs a right-hand man. Earlier I said if there was any Christ figure in this, it'd be Washington. I think with the way I look at this song, if that's the case, and I think it's a stretch there, if Washington is our Christ figure, then Hamilton might be Peter. I don't know. But he makes enough mistakes. He's, he's overeager. He's overzealous. He just doesn't understand at first. Uh, and we see him kind of like grow into his role later on. So there, there are some kind of similarities, but I think it's a huge stretch to, to go there. George Washington, the figure, was like well known for his like kind of virtue. You read a lot of the people of the times. And I think even some, because he fought, he fought for the English in the French-Indian War. And so even like the people he eventually ended up fighting against, even though he was their enemy, they were like, he, he was still like a, a well-respected, well-respected and powerful man. And I think it's also important to remember, like, he was almost like a reluctant hero. You know, he wanted to just be like a guy who wanted, he actually just wanted to go back to his like estate and like to his farming. We see that in here big time. He did not want like after the war, he didn't want to lead the country, but there was almost like, well, who else is going to be our first president? Like who else does everyone respect enough for this? Yeah. And that, that'll come up later big time. So we'll, we'll definitely mm-hmm. get some insight into that for sure. Yeah, And we do see even King George recognizes like if Washington isn't going to be president, then no one else in America can do it. Like he's the only one who is, is good enough. Uh, which is yeah. kind of weird coming from King George, who just, or w- when that song happens, uh, lost the colonies, you know. Foreshadowing, yeah. Yeah. America wins the war, if anyone didn't know. Uh, okay, so moving on, later on in that song, Hamilton has a line where he says, let's take a stand with the stamina God has granted us. And this is a pretty small line, but I just think it kind of hints at the idea of using the gifts that God gave us to win the battles presented. And so we'll, we'll see more of that later on. A huge, huge line for me. Washington is having this conversation with Hamilton where Hamilton just, he wants to have a high ranking position to give himself honor and he's willing to die for this cause and everything. And Washington says, dying is easy, young man. Living is harder. And this is a theme that runs throughout the, the musical I've heard a similar quote before, and I thought it was Abraham Lincoln that said it to one of his soldiers. Maybe it was Washington. Maybe it's fake. I don't know. But it's something along the lines of, I have thousands of men willing to die for our cause. I need one who will live for it. There's something to this idea of, I think, especially for us as men, 
a lot of the times we have like this Disney idea of I'm going to die for my my bride or my love, whatever, my family, my friends, whatever. I want to lay down my life for someone. And the reality is none of us are going to be in like a sword fight to defend our wives honor like ever, you know, like that's just not a thing. Not with that attitude. <laughs> right. That's not what we're called to do, but like we are called to die to ourselves. And I think that's what Washington is getting at here is the idea that it's, it's harder to live for a cause and to stand up for it and to every single day, make that choice, even when it's hard to make that choice to, to love and to stand for that cause or for that person or for that relationship, whatever it is. So with that, our next song is A Winter's Ball. This is just exactly what it says. And while they're at this ball, all the guys are trying to get the attention of the Skylar sisters because they are rich. So if you marry rich, then you are no longer poor. That's how it works. So our next song is Helpless. This is where we really see Eliza kind of have her first song to herself. And this is her song of falling in love with Alexander Hamilton. And the interesting thing with helpless and the song immediately afterward called satisfied which is her sister angelica's song is it's the exact same scene and so in between i guess it's at the beginning of satisfied there's actually a rewind where everyone goes backwards and they go to the same spot and they go through the same scene but through the eyes of angelica i just think that's that's so cool because we see okay now she's falling in love with him but she realizes that she, as the oldest sister, has to marry someone who's rich. Alexander's not. So she kind of hands over Alexander to Eliza. And that's where their relationship and eventually marriage begins. And Hamilton has a line in here, which is kind of weird, but he explains a little bit. So he says to Angelica, you strike me as a woman who has never been satisfied. And she's kind of like offended by that. And he explains and he's like, you're like me. I'm never satisfied. And they're talking about like how they're never satisfied by like their accomplishments or their, their knowledge and stuff like that. And so they're always pursuing something greater. And I think that hits to the idea of we will never be satisfied, right? We're only going to be fully satisfied in Christ, right? Who is ultimate goodness, who is ultimate perfection and being itself. And so to expect someone else to completely satisfy us in a relationship is, is impossible. And it's, setting such high bars that you will never be satisfied. Right. Later on, Angelica describes the effects of love. And so she, just a few separate lyrics that I, I saw in later verses, it says the feeling of freedom of seeing the light. And so these are both things that we find in Christ, freedom and light. And then as she hands Alexander over to Eliza, she says, I'm about to change your life. Right. And so this idea that love, and we've said before on the show that God himself is love, not that he just loves us, but he is love itself. And so the idea that love is, is life-changing, right? Christ, God in, in the persons of the Trinity is life-changing. So our next song is called The Story of Tonight, The Reprise. Reprise, thank you. The Story of Tonight, Reprise. And in this, this is the same song as before, but it's continued. And the guys are all celebrating after Hamilton's wedding. And Burr is there and he reveals that he's having an affair with a woman who's married to a British officer. So that makes things interesting. Which brings us to another one of my favorite songs. And there's a lot of good stuff in here. So I'll try not to talk too much on this, but it's called Wait For It. 
And this is where we really get an insight into Burr and why he is the way that he is. The first lyric I want to bring up is he says, love doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints. It takes and it takes and it takes and we keep living anyway. And I actually just want to say that this is kind of a misunderstanding of love. There's the whole saying, love is give and take. And I hate that phrase so much (laughs) because love never takes ever by definition of what love is. When we talk about love, especially in, in Christian love, it's not taking love is always giving and it it does receive, but it should never take. And there's a difference between receiving and taking. And so when we take love, when when we take affection, that's, that's not real. That's not real love. And so I just want to point that out, even though that was kind of what the lyrics said. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where love isn't about control. There's a quote out there I'd heard, but those who are incapable of love seek to control, right? Mm -hmm. That, that it's about something they're trying to take something when love truly in its core and you've reached to it is, is, is total self gift, right? It is a, a gift of who we are in our entirety. And then the other person receives that gift and reciprocates it. But to say that it takes and it takes and it takes, that is conditional love, right? If something is taken by love, it would, then the love was conditional in the first place. I do want to bring up here is later on the song slows down and he starts talking to himself and it's, it's like he's trying to convince himself of these next lyrics. And it's, this is one of the most powerful scenes in the whole musical, in my opinion, but this is what he says. I am the one thing in life I can control. I am inimitable. I am an original. I'm not falling behind or running late. I'm not standing still. I am lying in wait. What's it like in his shoes? Hamilton doesn't hesitate. He exhibits no restraint. He takes and he takes and he keeps winning anyway. And we start to see the effect of comparing and competing with Alexander has had on him. And it's just wrecking him emotionally. And I love those first lines. I am the one thing in life that I can control. And so he, like Alexander, is obsessed with control. But they do it in very different ways. And we learn a lot about Burr in this song. I'm not going to go into it just because it would take forever. But those next lines, I am inimitable, which which means like you you can't copy, right? No one can copy me. I am an original. And then he says like, I'm not falling behind. He's trying to convince himself like, just because Alexander's going so far, I'm not falling behind. I'm just, I'm waiting. I'm lying in wait. And so it's just a really big insight into who he is. And I think it's important that we remind ourselves of that. I'm not someone that can be copied. I'm an original. Just those lyrics, I think, can be super powerful, just those two sentences. And then from there, we see a lot in the end of the song about time. Like I said, that's a huge theme in this whole musical, which we're going to hint at more next week. There is a Catholic writer slash speaker, Leo Labresco, who did some interesting research on the time of this song and its speed and stuff like that. And I would love to bring that up next week, hopefully, assuming we have time. And then in the end, in the last verse, Burr says, I'm willing to wait for it. Life doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints. It takes and it takes and it takes. So this time we see life. And what I was getting from this is that holiness, because it talks about sinners and saints, doesn't eliminate suffering. Just because you are a saint does not mean that you won't suffer throughout your life. And I think that's something that we, in our modern view of faith and, and religion, kind of skewed. In fact, Christ tells his followers that they will suffer. 
And if they follow him, they will suffer as he suffered. But just to remember that they hated him first. That's what he says. So to find hope in that suffering and embrace it and see that God makes good things come from that rather than to dwell in, in that suffering. Christianity is interesting in that regard that a lot of our culture or sort of, I guess, the at least modern American culture, there's a lot of the sort of new age spirituality, um, which is kind of rooted a lot in a lot of sort of Eastern philosophies, although it kind of takes some things from Eastern philosophy, but sort of leaves out some of the more aesthetical practices. Uh, we don't really live in a aesthetic society or one that engages in like active aestheticisms. A lot of those other things are sort of the the wisdom of the world is somehow kind of unplugging from things. And, and if you do X, then you can somehow avoid suffering, right? It's this whole idea of, you know, people talk a lot about karma, right? Like bad things happen to bad people, good things will happen to good people. And if you want to avoid suffering, you just are a good person and somehow it's all going to work out. But I think there's some truth that Christianity is a little different in that Christ doesn't promise us that and that Christ actually tells us like, well, because of original sin, because of the fallen nature of humanity, we are going to suffer and you are going to suffer. Like there will be people who choose to persecute you and because they have free will, you will suffer because of that. But he gives us a redemption in suffering. And so whereas so many different cultures and so many different sort of philosophies or religions have been so geared towards somehow avoiding suffering, Christ, God, like Christianity, God actually comes down into our suffering and redeems it, which is actually so much deeper than just avoiding it, that our God is so good that he said, no, 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 I'm not just going to teach you how to avoid that. I'm going to come into your suffering with you, and I'm going to redeem it. This line kind of reminds me of sort of like just the mindset that we have that we can sometimes look at life as unfair and that it takes and it takes and it takes, or we can sort of more count our blessings, right? And look at the things that are, that are going right or, or God at work, even in those sufferings. Boy, just wait until you meet Eliza. She's going <laughs> to rock your world, bro. I think that's exactly what she's, she's so good at in, in Alexander's life is, is pointing that out. And so we'll see that throughout, but hopefully pretty soon here. Okay. So our next song is called, stay alive, which is pretty self-explanatory. It's them trying to stay alive in the midst of war. And one of the lyrics that I want to bring out here is Hamilton says, we pick and choose our battles and places to take a stand. I think this can be applied to the spiritual war because when the battle is overwhelming, we need to win where we can and avoid battles that we will obviously lose. So I think a lot of the times in our spiritual battle, we think we need to challenge like these, these big things, like these big struggles that we have, knowing that we've lost that battle over and over again in our life, right? So if you have this one temptation that just keeps knocking you down, it keeps knocking you down, maybe you need to find a different way to win that battle. Maybe find a smaller battle or something that leads you into that temptation and address that instead of trying to take on that big thing that you know that you've, you've lost over and over and over again. It's kind of cool that you say that. So the Desert Fathers, you know, when they're talking about sort of avoiding, avoiding sin and avoiding temptation, this is part of the reason why when we go to confession or, or it's sort of talked a lot in our faith about avoiding the near occasion of sin. Exactly. So the Desert Fathers, especially specifically when they're talking about sexual sin, they're like, we're not strong enough to like stare at the face of this. 
and be tempted and then like feed it through our for like our sheer force of will. Like we have to avoid the near occasion of sin. So when we do face temptation, like the desert fathers actually tell you to essentially turn around and run in the other direction away from the temptation, run toward Christ in the opposite direction. And so there is something to be said about, yeah, in spiritual warfare, like there are things fighting evil, like there is something there, standing up for justice, all of that stuff. Uh, but there's also sometimes in our lives where it's important to just avoid the near occasion of sin to to sort of go around it and be like, I'm not strong enough to beat this. And so this isn't a battle I need to try to fight today. For sure. Kind of just wrap up a summary of the rest of that song. George Washington promotes Charles Lee as a general and he just fails miserably. He just keeps retreating. And when he gets fired as general, he just bashes Washington. So John Lawrence challenges him to a duel. And we'll see that duels are pretty common in this musical. And that'll be a recurring theme in act two, which brings us into the song 10 dual commandments, which is a really, really fun song. (laughs) This kind of intros the rules and procedures of the duel so that we understand it later on in act two, but Lee is shot and defeated. He does live, I think, but we kind of see what happens there. There are a few references to faith in here. So I do want to bring those up very quickly. So the first one is just the name itself, the 10 dual commandments. It's a reference to the 10 commandments. Rule number six says, write a letter to your next of kin and then pray. And then rule number seven is actually to confess your sins. So there's this idea of confessing before your death, specifically before you murder someone. So that's interesting. I just wanted to bring those references up before we moved into our next song, which is Meet Me Inside, which is Washington scolding Hamilton for being a part of this and organizing this duel. He's mad and um, he ends up sending Hamilton home at the end. But one of the things he says is this war is hard enough without infighting. And I think that applies to our spiritual war as well. When we're fighting ourselves, or we're fighting the, the brothers and the sisters, spiritual brothers and spiritual sisters who are supporting us, that's not going to help us win the war. In fact, it's just going to make it even harder. So we just need to keep that in mind as we're fighting that. We want to have that community. We want to have a good relationship with ourselves and with others so that we can win that battle. And the next thing is throughout this whole song, We see Washington calling Hamilton son, not like biologically, but just like as a term of endearment, you know, you hear that from older generations and Hamilton gets really upset and he says, I'm not your son. And I think there's something to this, like denying the father, or if we're going with that, Washington is Christ, Hamilton is Peter, the denial of the Christ figure can be hinted at here too. I think there's something to that, like denial of the relationship because Washington is just trying to be there. You know, he's trying to be that mentor figure that we talked about early on at the beginning. And Hamilton asks again for a command position so that he can make a name for himself. And here's what, what goes down. Washington says, or you could die and we need you alive, Hamilton. I'm more than willing to die, Washington. Your wife needs you alive. Son, I need you alive. Hamilton, call me son one more time. He gets so frustrated. And so we see that like your life is more important than what you're doing. It goes back to that. You can die to yourself by living, right? Live for this cause. We need you. Right. Which leads us into the song that I really wanted you to hear, which is called that would be enough. And this is another song with Eliza. And this is where we see kind of that other side of influence on Hamilton. So Eliza says, uh, this is after Alexander sent home 
to her. He finds out that she is pregnant with their first son. And he immediately wants to just go back to the war because he's like, it's not done yet. And I have duties there. So Eliza says, look around, look around at how lucky we are to be alive right now. And they're in the midst of war right now and they're losing the war. And she's just like, look at the blessings we have. They were poor at the time because even though she grew up rich, they don't have anything because Alexander is a soldier for the Continental Army, which didn't even get paid for months because they had no money. So they have basically nothing except for each other and now this unborn baby. And she's just like, how lucky are we to be alive right now? Hamilton says, will you relish being a poor man's wife, unable to provide for your life? Eliza I relish being your wife. Look around, look around. Look at where you are. Look at where you started. The fact that you're alive is a miracle. Just stay alive. That would be enough. And I I just love this. And the the, the fact that you're alive is a miracle. I mean, you you work for a pro-life organization. Ironically, you were talking about that pro-life shirt before. I'm actually wearing mine right now too. Oh, nice. But yeah, just the fact that you're alive is a miracle. Like just recognizing the fact that you woke up this morning, that should be enough to be thankful. You know, it, it, this is a miracle in itself. And throughout this whole musical, she is that constant reminder of that. And I think that is so, so beautiful. And this is one of the reasons why, like I said, she's, she's got to be my favorite, favorite character. And before I, I let you break that down, I want to go into this next part because I think it ties in as well. She goes on to say, I'm not afraid. I know who I married. So long as you come home at the end of the day, that would be enough. We don't need a legacy. We don't need money. If I could grant you peace of mind, if you could let me inside your heart, oh, let me be a part of the narrative in the story they will write someday. Let this moment be the first chapter where you decide to stay and I could be enough and we could be enough and that would be enough. And yeah, this is, this whole scene is just super powerful. She's like this amazing, loving and forgiving wife. And it's, it's amazing. So any, any thoughts on this other than kind of the the obvious that I've mentioned? Yeah, I I actually just wanted to kind of little side tangenty, but when you were talking about just like kind of the miracle of life, and I think that that's actually something that's really important to keep in mind. I remember I had a friend in college, his name was Dean, and this poor guy was dating his girlfriend at the time, great girl, and he went and he picked her up from college, and while, when he picked her up from, or picked up from the airport, I think, and as they were driving back, there was a, they went under an underpass, and a wheel popped off of a car on the overpass, and then fell down through the window and struck his girlfriend, and she passed away. Oh my gosh. Dude. And it was like just the most insane thing ever. And I remember talking to him about it and just being like, man, it is like just the odds of that happening. And he was like, you know, Steve, what I've realized through all of this is that really the odds of that happening aren't, aren't so crazy. Like things like that can happen all the time. Like everything that has to happen He's like the craziest thing, the thing that defies all odds, given just the complex natures of our body, like the fact that everything that could go wrong could, the fact that we're alive is the greatest miracle. 
that everything that needs to happen to sustain our life actually happens day in and day out. He's like, you look at like the universe and most planets, like we haven't even found another planet that could even potentially sustain our life. But here we are on this little rock and everything just seems to have, he's like, that to me is the truly miraculous thing. And like, he just had such a beautiful mindset on life, especially having to go through something that tragic that it had always stuck with me. And it always sort of shaped my understanding of just like how precious life is. And like, also like has given me credence that like our God is there actually sustaining our life. that <laughs> Like everything is going right. Right. That waking up is actually a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. That's an awesome way to look at it. I've never heard it reversed like that before. But that is something that we so often take for granted. It's just the basic idea that we're alive, you know, and this, this whole song, like I said, is a kind of counterbalance to what you noticed before between Burr and Hamilton, where they, they were never satisfied. Like we, we had that whole song with Angelica. I will Mm -hmm. never be satisfied. And Eliza's here just saying, look around you. Like you have so many blessings. We're so lucky. We have so many miracles in our life and we just, we created another miracle. You know, we have this life here. Yeah. I, I think this song is so, so powerful. Our next song goes from this super slow emotional, that would be enough to the fastest rap in the entire musical, if not in the entire history of Broadway musicals in general. I believe it is the fastest ever, or at least one of the fastest verses. It's called Guns and Ships. And this is the soldiers all reuniting in Lafayette, bringing in guns and ships from France. There's one line that I want to point out, but other than that, we'll kind of skip over this song. Washington says, we rendezvous with Rochambeau and consolidate their gifts. And then later on to Hamilton, he says, if you join us right now, together we can turn the tide. And so the the big thing I get from this song is the idea of getting everyone together because everyone has these unique gifts that they need to win this war. And without Alexander, without the French, without Lafayette and and everyone, uh, Mulligan, who was a a spy this whole time, without everyone and their gifts, they couldn't have done this, right? So it's this idea that we're coming together and it's those unique gifts that each of us have, which help us to do what we need to do. That comes down to our, our vocations, right? And the gifts that we are given and how we're supposed to use those gifts in love in, in this world, we're supposed to consolidate those gifts and to, to work together to turn the tide, essentially. So our next song is called History Has Its Eyes on You. This one is Washington's advice to Hamilton. There were a few things I wanted to bring up here, but I think I'm going to avoid most of them. But kind of the idea is Washington explains that when he first got his command, he, he messed up. He led his men into a slaughter and almost all of them died. And he had this shame and he just lies awake, realizing that history will always remember him for that. But later on in the song, there's this line that just, I think is really important that we point out. And this is him speaking to Hamilton. He says, I know that we can win. I know that greatness lies in you. But remember from here on in, history has its eyes on you. And so it's this idea of like, whether you see this as just George Washington or as Jesus or as God, the father, whoever speaking to Hamilton, this idea that Washington sees potential. He sees greatness within him that 
he just needs to let out. But he needs to remember that the way that he does that matters. Just like you said before, he can't yeah. just recklessly pursue his goal regardless of how he does that. And the way that Washington talks about this reminds me of the idea of scandal. Mm-hmm. A good example of this, right? So I, I work for the church. So if I were to go out and do something, for example, let's say I disagreed with the church on a pro-life issue, right? Let's say I'm, I'm pro, pro-choice which I am not, just to be clear. But for, for this example, let's say I am, and I go out and I start supporting these certain things, or I go out and do like a pro-choice march or something like that. That is showing to the world that I, someone who works for the church, is openly supporting and saying it, it's okay to do something opposed to church teaching. And so that's what we call the sin of scandal, right? So leading others to think it is okay to do something that the church says is not okay. So even if it's unintentional, we have by, by right of our position, I guess, this responsibility to avoid that scandal. And so Washington is kind of warning Hamilton about that, which we see come up later on. Okay, so the next thing is Yorktown, which is just the Battle of Yorktown where the British were defeated. So our next song then is What Comes Next. This is another King George song after the war. And it's more of just like trying to manipulate the colonists and make them feel helpless. So he says, what comes next? You've been freed. Do you know how hard it is to lead? You're on your own. Awesome. Wow. Do you have a clue what happens now? And it's kind of just this, again, trying to mess with them and make them feel completely useless and feel like they need to come back to him. All right. We have two songs left. Both of them are pretty awesome ones. This next one is again, one of my favorites in this act. So it's called Dear Theodosia. And this is all about the beauty of fatherhood. So Burr now has a daughter with the woman that he was having the affair with. And Hamilton now has his firstborn son, Philip. And this is their song. So they're both on stage singing to their children separately, but also together. (laughs) So Burr says, when you came into the world, you cried and it broke my heart. I'm dedicating every day to you. Domestic life was never quite my style. When you smile, you knock me out. I fall apart. And I thought I was so smart. We'll bleed and fight for you. We'll make it right for you. If we lay a strong enough foundation, we'll pass it on to you. We'll give the world to you and you'll blow us all away. Hamilton. Oh, Philip, when you smile, I am undone. My son. Look at my son. Pride is not the word I'm looking for. There's so much more inside me now. Oh, Philip, you outshine the morning sun. My father wasn't around. I swear that I'll be around for you. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll make a million mistakes. I'll make the world safe and sound for you. And I mean, this is just the love of a father, right? Recognizing the the beauty of the child outshining the morning sun, right? The willing to sacrifice and do whatever it takes. The acknowledgement that he'll make mistakes, but he's going to do whatever he can to be the best father. And just the idea that like uh, from, from the, line from Burr where it says, you cried and it broke my heart. Just the idea of like our children suffering. If we look through the eyes of God, right? When, when we suffer, God doesn't 
punish us. He's not trying to punish us with suffering. It hurts him, not like actually hurts him because you can't inflict pain on God, but like he doesn't want to see us suffer. He is, he's our father. It breaks his heart figuratively to see that. I just think that's, that's helpful for us to see the idea of human biological fatherhood reflecting in God the Father through this song of Burr and Hamilton, where we finally see them slow down for a second. We see them embrace their family for a second and be human and not just these machines that go through the actions day in and day out. Yeah, and I, I, uh, I once listened to a speaker. He had just had his firstborn son. Um, and he kind of talked about fatherhood and just like how much he loved his son and how important his son was for him. And then he kind of flipped the script a little bit. He's like, I hate to say it, but he's like, I wouldn't sacrifice my son for any of you. And so he's like, so God's love and sacrificing his son, it, he's like, it means more to me now than it ever did before I had my son. Like before I could understand what it would be like and the fact that shows more of how God views us and God's love for us. Fatherhood and then also sonship or daughtership helps us understand the love of, love of God and that relationship. Like we have earthly signs, right? We have sacramentals in our biology for that purpose. So immediately at the end of the song, we see the only part of the musical that is not lyrics to a song. It's only like maybe five lines or something like that. But Hamilton receives a letter from John Lawrence's dad saying that he died after the war was over, but he was still fighting for freedom in the South and trying to raise that all black division of the army. Right. Mm -hmm. He died once the war was over. And it's kind of this idea of like the wasted life, you know, which sets some stuff up for act two that we'll get into next week. But that brings us to our last song called nonstop. So this death of his best friend kind of initiates Hamilton just working even harder. So where he was already just like completely one track mind focused, it just gets even worse in this one. So our last song, Nonstop. This is at the very beginning, Burr and Hamilton become lawyers in New York and Hamilton gets way more popular because he works nonstop. Burr says, why do you assume you're the smartest in the room? Soon the attitude may be your doom. Why do you write like you're running out of time? Write day and night like you're running out of time. Every day you fight like you're running out of time. And so this is where we really start hitting the idea of time, time, time. And we will, like I said, see this a lot in act two. Hamilton later on says, corruption such an old song that we can sing along in harmony Honestly, that's why public service seems to be calling me. I've seen injustice in the world and I've corrected it. And so we see that he actually has good intentions. But as we said before, good intentions does not always justify your actions. There's a popular phrase, the road to hell is paved by good intentions. Yeah, well, it goes back to what I was saying too, of not letting the unintentional evil outweigh the intentional good, right? Exactly. And that kind of brings us into our next part. Hamilton says to Burr, after asking him to defend the Constitution, uh, this is what he says. Hey, what are you waiting for? What do you stall for? We won the war. What was it all for? 
do you support this constitution? Burr says, of course. Hamilton, then defend it. Burr, and what if you're backing the wrong horse? Hamilton, Burr, we studied and we fought and we killed for the notion of a nation we now get to build. For once in your life, take a stand with pride. I don't understand how you stand to the side. Then Burr refuses to do so. He says, I'll keep all my plans close to my chest. I'll wait here and see which way the wind will blow. This just goes back to that same dichotomy we talked about earlier, but I like the idea of seeing which way the wind will blow. I've, I've heard before listening to God's will in your life, you need to be willing to be like a leaf in the wind, right? So if God blows you one direction, you need to be willing to sacrifice whatever you have now and go to that one thing. Yeah. Um, but I think the difference here is Burr is not looking to what God wants for his life. He's looking to what are the human institutions around me saying, and how will I adjust to them? rather than how do I adjust to God's will for me? And so I, I think that's kind of our, our dilemma here is he's looking to how can I manipulate the institutions around me rather than how can I serve people through God's will? Uh, so that's kind of how I see that. And then the last thing I want to point out for this act one is uh, at the end of the song, there's just huge compilation of all these songs we've heard of so far. But there's a part where the, the full company, everyone says, how do you write like you, tomorrow won't arrive? How do you write like you need it to survive? How do you write every second that you're alive? And this is going to come up a lot because now we see this idea of Hamilton thinking that the way that he will make things better and justify John Lawrence's death is by writing. And we'll see what happens to that in act two. So with that, Steve, do you have any challenges this week? <sighs> My personal challenge for me is to actually watch the musical. <laughs> I would say that the two sort of things that struck me is one, I think that everyone just always should at some point sit down and read and pray through the litany of humility just to like kind of at least remind ourselves on a regular basis, maybe sometime this week, sit down with that prayer. Uh, just to sort of remind ourselves of what what our intentions are and kind of what the next right step is. And then the second thing, and I think is important, is to then actually kind of look outward and maybe once every day, maybe at the end of the day, kind of an examination of conscience sort of thing, but but sort of look for the blessings or try to be more mindful of the way that God's acting in our lives and look for those blessings and give thanks to him throughout the day. Instead of looking at how everything's going wrong, perhaps start looking at, at the way that God is working in our, our lives. Especially given the, the world as it is right now, I think it's easy to lose hope, but we have to remember that God is still at work. Yeah, that was actually going to be one of mine from the song. That would be enough with Eliza is just to recognize those blessings. I think that's huge right now. And the other thing that I was going to say for a challenge this week is to find some balance between Burr and Hamilton. You don't need to be Burr where you're doing absolutely nothing and just taking this back seat, but you also don't need to be Hamilton where you're just like so recklessly abandoning and sacrificing everything around you find an in-between. Stand up for something. Stand up for justice. Stand up for something that is good and holy and do it with love. 
where we talked about your actions and your words must always come from a place of love. And that's the most important thing. So find a balance, find something to stand up for and do it in a way that is loving. You don't need to go yelling. You don't need to be destructive. Find a way to stand up for something. And that could be in a small way, even with your family. Sometimes that's the hardest place to stand up for something is to the people who are closest to you. So maybe that's just in a small conversation where you stand up for something you believe in rather than just kind of like nodding and going along with something. That's my last challenge for you this week. Steve, this actually kind of reminds me of when we did that Moana episode a couple of years mm. ago. Oh yeah. That was like early days, but that was one of our first two part episodes, I think. And ironically, the music for Moana was written by Lin-Manuel Miranda who created Hamilton. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. Oh, it's kind of a small world thing. I didn't realize that. That's yeah, yeah. cool. So that, that is cool. And actually, Alexander Hamilton is played by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who also sings some of the songs in, in Moana as well. So you hear his voice in both. If you listen to the outro part of You're Welcome, so at the end of the end credit version, that's Tim singing that too. So anyways, so with that, guys, I'm going to put some links in our description this week as always so this week you will be able to find the lyrics on lyric genius to all these songs i'm going to put a youtube video in there of 22 amazing details that you probably didn't know about hamilton and neither did i until i found this video i'm going to put leah labresco's research in there so you'll be able to find out some of the stuff we'll be talking about next week about time and pacing in hamilton and then also i'm going to put in a few things on themes as well. So make sure you check those out. With that, Steve, where can the people find us if they want to reach out to us? So we have the website at thechristinculture.com. You can also find us on our Twitter, which is at OnTheAdventure2, as well as on Facebook at the Christ in Culture. So please feel free to reach out to us, email us, find us on social media, to let us know kind of your thoughts on this and also anything you would like to see us do in the future. And yeah, I mean, we would love to hear your feedback. Ultimately, again, this podcast is hopefully providing all of y'all something. And so we would like to hear your feedback. Yeah. And especially because there are so many things in this musical, we're going to miss stuff. That's just how it works. So please let us know if you find something that we didn't talk about and maybe we'll be able to bring that in next week. Uh, or in, in a later episode as well. Also, if you could, please send a review for our, our episode. Go down to the bottom on whatever app you are viewing us on. Click that five star. Doesn't take more than a few seconds to do so, and it helps us reach so many more people, and we truly appreciate that. While you're at it, go ahead and leave a review or a comment, and we would really, really appreciate that as well. You guys are awesome. We are praying for you. Please stay healthy, stay holy, and enjoy the adventure. We will see you guys next week. All right. Thank you all. God bless.